Have you seen this? Of course you didn't. It was on Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Oh, okay. You're recording, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I've been recording for, <laughs> I've got 13 minutes of shit. Nah, yeah, it's fine. I'll I got cut it. Yeah. I got 13 minutes of shit on the TV to choose from. Isn't that a song lyric? Yeah, I'm bastardizing a, one of the, the lines from the wall. Oh, yeah, okay, god damn it. I was like, god, what is that from? Yeah. I know that's, like, from something. Yeah, I mean, I'm podcasting, but there ain't nobody home. Yeah. Well, today we've I'm got 50 states from. of shit. <laughs> Except it's not, it's nine states. Right, yeah. The three quarters of a baker's dozen of states. I don't know, like, this wasn't that bad. It just had the misfortune to be on kind of a bad platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But All right, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> and and cut. Um no, before right. but uh before we get to the meat of the matter, uh I want to shout out uh yeah, Let's get to the potatoes. Yes, I want to shout out some folks. Uh the first shout out goes to Sicko Vision on Twitch. Um this is essentially a stream of the kind of weird shit that we talk about on this show. You're going to make me buy another TV if you keep shouting all these uh, <laughs> streaming services at me. <laughs> and that was how Tim got addicted to sicko vision. This is Tim just sitting, like, in his little apartment, like, surrounded by Legos, and he's got the wall of TV screens, like uh, um, Ozymandias. No, I, got, I got a TV on every wall, yeah. Yeah. He's got uh, Bubastis, but she's made out of Legos. Hey. Yeah, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You should yeah, make you know, that. no one's done that, yeah. You should make a Bubastis. Um, you already made me a Unikitty, and it's just going up to I did. a slightly larger kitty. But um, Right. Anyway, uh, Sicko Vision. <laughs> you can check them out on Twitch, and uh, they play all kinds of weird shit. And in fact, they even had an entire lineup one day that was all inspired by the show. I am not kidding. When I saw this, oh, wow. I, of course, retweeted it, and I had a little moment because I was like, oh, my God, somebody's actually, you know, listening and paying attention. They even screened Romeo and Romeo. Man. Yeah. I'm sure that got them, like, a copyright strike or something. Well, no, That's I'm a, sure that... they got, like, tons of viewers for the hard gay sex. Right, yeah. Well, there's which there is literal gay sex in that portrayed in that movie yes uh, you get well, to and uh, i i would like to remind the audience people who um are tuning in at a late date and haven't been with us since the early days uh romeo and romeo is a movie in which you see the director's erect penis and i mean who what more could you ask for really exactly do you get that, that from is... fucking stanley kubrick or i don't know well, ryan ryan johnson <laughs> This is the real Johnson. I actually don't know if Ryan Johnson has put his penis in a movie. Maybe Karina Longworth know. knows. Yeah, yeah you're right. 
anyway, the second shout out goes to I can't I can't believe that like someone made a a show based off of moves that we've we've covered. Like I feel like an influencer, which I guess I should go hang myself now. <laughs> well, you're only influencing about five people, so I wouldn't. That's feel too, too bad many. About it. That's that's like six too many. <laughs> Our malign influence continues. Um, right, yeah. To that end, uh, I also would like to shout out uh, the very kind folks from the Worst of All Possible Worlds podcast who are now sponsoring us over at our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash have you seen this. And real heads know that uh, we just did a bonus episode with them about a uh, weird fucking 1967 British movie where Roddy McDowell finds a golem. You don't want to miss yeah, that one. Like you do. Uh yeah, and I've, you know, I've been listening to their show and I I'm going to steal a lot of their jokes and observations. I think that, you know, they have some great content that is well, I I I'm not going to turn up my nose at using it on our show. They're going to be so glad they reached out. Right, yeah. But yeah, shouts like, out to uh, Josh and Brian. Uh, Josh, thank you for getting in touch and getting that episode set up. And we, uh, since this is the free episode, everyone listening, like, you're not going to want to miss that one. We had a lot of fun. It was, uh, yeah, that was a good time. very funny episode with jokes of flying. And the movie itself is demented. So uh, it was perfect for the show. Yeah, Ronnie McDowell is good in that. Yeah. I just, yeah. We love Roddy we'll McDowell. Stop. This is a, this right. is a pro Roddy podcast, right? Where else are you going to find that? Exactly. But uh, what are we talking about today, uh, Tim? On to new business. Uh, well, uh, I hope that you're listening to this on your phone uh, because uh, thematically, we want to keep that consistent by mentioning the uh, short-lived streaming service uh, Quibi. Short for Quick Bites. Oh, okay. I thought it was just someone stubbed their toe. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but we were we were canvassing around, and I mean I tend to watch whatever whatever is just on at the time. Uh, and Roku is kind of bottom of the barrel, um, you know, free free content. But it turns out that there's a tier below that, and I'd watched all of Fifty States of Fright before realizing that this was bought by Roku along with Reno Nine One One and some other stuff that I'm not actually watching. Uh, in basically uh, the fire sale when Quibi went under. Yeah, Quibi lasted, I think, a grand total of seven months. Right. Um, and I think people were a little puzzled when Yeah, it I mean, there have been abortions that live longer than Quibi. Yeah. Um, this was a, uh, this was a, a eminently deserved uh, late-term abortions. Um, right. Legalize it, man. Um <laughs> This uh, this company was make your thalidomide baby joke, Jen. <laughs> I got a I got a million of them. Right. This company was started or uh, headed by uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg of um, mostly Disney DreamWorks. and DreamWorks fame. Yeah. Uh, and also Meg Whitman, who I think was CEO of Hewlett Packard and ran it into the ground. Yeah, she was a. Uh... She's a big eBay person. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. She she was also head of eBay, and I guess she was more successful with eBay, and I think uh, also ran for political office. Um, right. I don't and know if she... I don't... I honestly don't remember if she was more or less successful than the Starbucks guy, but um, I don't remember them running anything in the government, so... Well, well here's the thing, um, and I think that if, if, we, if we want to get into 
tech startup Hollywood inside baseball right off the bat. Uh, Meg Whitman. Uh, so she also she she lost to Jerry Brown, but she ran for the uh, governor of California. Okay. And she spent a hundred forty-four million dollars of her own money on this failed campaign. Meg Whitman is not good with money. I'm gonna say. Uh, not only not only this, not only Quibi, but her campaign. Like both of these are kind of a lesson. I mean, in Hollywood, there's that you know, don't make a film with your own money. I feel like Meg Whitman is doing the like, don't run a governor campaign with your own money. But you know, there but there but for the grace of God goes Meg. There has to be, I mean, we know how millionaires and billionaires operate. There's always, like, some kind of, like, nest feathering go on there. So, I, for all I know, she, like, wrote it off or something and well, became I mean, she even has richer. Like, yeah, well, she has a billion and some change right. to her name. So, I mean, to her, what's a hundred-something million? Like, what does she give a shit? Meanwhile, but the people is- are, like dying on the streets of right, Los yeah. Angeles and San Francisco because they don't fucking have homes. Right. Well, I, the the other thing, too, is, I mean, you know, a million here, a million, a hundred million there, <laughs> you know, pretty soon you start talking real money. And that, I feel, is kind of the the hubris of, of Quibi is, well, I, I mean, first, let's establish what, what Quibi is. Quibi was, it was supposed to be short-form content that you watch on your phone, mm-hmm. which we already have. <laughs> <laughs> but it was supposed to cost more, which is not a good value proposition for short form content. I mean, if people th- there, are, there are two ways that you can approach short form content online or even content in general. You can be the premium service or you can be the cheap service. Like you can be HBO, you can be like Netflix originals, you can be, you know, Disney with its, you know, cancerous tentacles and everything or you can be tiktok instagram youtube free shit mm-hmm. like none of that is premium content but it also doesn't cost you anything so you're like eh, the only thing i'm wasting is my time which sounds like 90 percent of the internet right there but the problem is that quibi was trying to be both and neither of those things it was trying to be short form snackable content but it's premium content it's like we make gourmet fast food that I don't get that. It, it's, you know, it's <laughs> it's the uh, it's the Shake Shack of streaming content. Right. Except yes, you get use, a meal at Shake Shack. Right. Yeah. Except, yeah, then it's like thirty dollars. But like it, it, it's like saying, you know, we use only the freshest content in our Twinkies. Like, who gives a shit? So so Quibi Dude, is kind I of, could go for a gourmet Twinkie, though. And don't tell me that you wouldn't as well. Well, you know, it's funny, not quite the same story, but I was in downtown LA <laughs> back before the pandemic and I was, you know, I was feeling, uh, you know, I was on my day off or whatever. I, I was feeling pretty good. I went to the library, had a great time. Then I went uh, to one of the fancy donut places that are downtown and, you know, they have all these crazy flavors, things that you don't normally associate with donuts. And I got a peanut butter and jelly donut. I'm like, that seems fun. That's different. And I got it. And it perfectly replicated the taste of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which is not something worth emulating. Like, at the end of it, I'm like, I could have made this shit at home. This tastes exactly like just some bog standard, half-assed, you know, peanut butter and jelly on white bread 
sandwich that like your mom made when you were a kid and you had no sense of refined taste but i still paid you know four dollars for it yeah and at the end i'm like what the fuck was i doing that was a terrible (laughs) idea so that in a way is quibi where you have just you're you're paying for the privilege of having like disposable garbage content but it's nicer it's it's neither of these things and that's really what what gives me a headache when i try and think about it yeah and i think it um i surely it must enrage uh entertainment executives that they can't quite grab and bottle that lightning which is stuff like vine and tiktok well the problem with that is that it is just slush it is garbage there's a deluge of this shit coming out because influencers will make it for free you don't have to pay them well (laughs) the reason that i evoked uh the reason that i evoked vine in particular Uh maybe less so tiktok because we all know how pernicious some of the content on tiktok is but I remember when Vine was a thing, it was like a big deal that like, you know, how do we monetize this? And it was, it mm-hmm. was true. It was just people kind of like uploading their own things. And there were certain Vines that, that went viral that have become kind of embedded in the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, like to this day, I still, whenever I see watermelon, I still say watermelon um, right. and stuff like that. And a lot of these uh, short videos were like really fucking funny and inventive and had like good gags but you let's well okay but how do we sell this you know it's not uh like it's not good enough that this is just people's like um unique and spontaneous creativity made on a shoestring it's like yeah but how can we sell it because everything has to be monetized and you know they couldn't they couldn't monetize vine and so vine went away and um i think the second shot at it has been TikTok and that's been uh you know a little more of a of a mixed bag because it's, you know I mean just today I sent uh Tim a video from uh, a Twitter account called Chaos TikTok with TikToks mm. which aggregates like some of the weirdest shit that you can find on there and uh you know it's it's very funny but it's again. It's 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 uncontrolled. It's not. I mean, you can't go to. Yeah, you can't be like, give me six of these by the end of the week. Yeah, you can't go to Sony and be like, okay, I got your series idea. It's a dog that is trying right. really hard to take a shit. Right. And so it's a long ass fart. Well, like... this, yeah, and this is, <laughs> and and speaking of wet farts, this is something that I encountered too when I was uh, when no I was shitting. going around. Yeah. No. No, when I was pitching What Would Jesus Do, which is a crazy thing to say, but yeah, I fixed it. I pitched it to Fox Animation at some point. <laughs> like, I literally was in the room with, like, my, you know, cutouts and standees and tie-dye t-shirt and everything. I was pitching What Would Jesus Do? But there was a, um, a mogul who was a friend of mine, and this was 20 years ago, so I don't remember his name. I'd have to look it up. But... One of the things that, because uh, I put it in front of him, and I'm like, yeah, so what do you think? Uh, and his advice to me was, you know, because what would Jesus do was like, it's like 90 seconds. Like, I, th- I think it started with like a, um, uh, like a, a cryptomnesia of like a, uh, of like a, 
um, Robert Smigel bit or something, but then it turned into its own thing, which is good. But the thing that he said to me is just like, you have to write these as characters because otherwise you're like, you know, you get 30 seconds in and you're like staring at the ceiling being like, I got to think of a joke, got to think of a joke. And like, that was kind of the way that the series went, you know, the, the series of short cartoons, because it was, it was very one note. It was Jesus shows up, you know, he's misrepresented. Uh, and then, um, then a police go. officer comes to arrest him. Yeah. And he, and he just fucks off, which, you know, it was a great, it's a great one note gag. And it's perfect for, you know, a, it was perfect at the time when what people saw most online were like flash animated cartoons like this, this is, was that. So, but the advice to me is like, if you want to be able to stretch this out, you can't just have it be like gag after gag, where it's like just just tell a joke, just tell a joke, just tell a joke. Let's is give like, Jesus is... a friend. Say, uh, no, yeah. Judas. Yeah, like he, he hangs out with twelve guys, but like one of them's a jerk, you know. <laughs> and he's got like a slutty friend, and like she's always cracking jokes. So yeah, like that's all. That's there's something to it, but it's like you have to make the comedy based on the characters. Is the point that I'm not illustrating well so you can't just have it be just here's a here's a bunch of gags i don't know whatever but you make it intrinsic to the characters that you're watching and then it kind of then it starts to hold together better rather than just being like i don't know, tell a joke i don't know, tell a joke and that i feel is the difference between uh short and long form content because a lot of the a lot of the stuff that you're seeing uh on you know whether it's it's tiktok or whether it's vine or whether it's youtube that is like one off. That is lightning striking in just such a way. Like, Jen, are you going to tune into Water Malone the series? <laughs> like, no. But it is a thing that it, it's funny. It's, you know, it's just some random thing that you and your, you know, your friends experience and you can call back to them and be like, oh, yeah, that's not funny that one time. Well, but I mean, but what, what, what better up, way to. But what ends up happening is that you get like kind of like aggregators, like, uh, you know, early on, like Tosh.0 or, um, you know, Ridiculousness, which has now pretty much swallowed MTV. It's like all they play. Right. Yeah. But uh, it's difficult for that to then transition because mm -hmm. otherwise you're going to get like a, you know, it, we need only point to the novelty Twitter account shit my dad says <laughs> to see how this stuff does not make the leap from short to long form content. Mm -hmm. Like it is forever in that like it is that um, it, I don't know. It's the difference between like stand up versus vaudeville. I want to say like it isn't sustaining beyond it just being a series of jokes. Like when you run out of jokes, you're like, OK, well, that's my set. I'm leaving. Versus it being more like, I don't know, if you're a, a stand-up, like, you try to cultivate a particular, like, point of view, like, a particular narrative. Um, that way, you know, people know what they're getting when they come see you rather than being like, hey, this guy tells jokes. I can tell his jokes around the water cooler at work. You know nothing of the art of vaudeville. I guess not. <laughs> well, it's because, yeah, well, where are all the vaudeville TikToks? I want to see those. But... Yeah, I mean that that would be my my approximation is this like free short form content is vaudeville and it doesn't have any um it it is unable to achieve anything greater than than that. And Quibi to like kind of try to be that while not being vaudeville. But it it's I feel it doesn't like, mesh. I feel like Quibi is more kind of trying to put the square peg in the round hole where it's you know it's it's uh not enough to just let people 
you know, put up their funny videos online. It's like, how can we sell this to people? So to that end, let's take a thing that we we understand, which is um, uh, yeah, producing broadcast, premium content. Yeah, yeah, broadcast content, you know, TV shows or uh, short films or features or whatever. And we're going to try to shoe that, shoehorn that in to this short format because the whole pitch with Quibi was it was it was supposed to be the kind of thing that uh oh shit I just realized (laughs) god damn it you know how everyone loves to talk about liminal spaces okay it's video for liminal spaces all right like uh the way that I've seen um Quibi content described is like oh you know you watch it while you're in line for a coffee you absolutely do not do that yeah like um I, I mean, and it's funny because um, pretty much the universal reaction to Quibi was um, slight was why would confusion. I do that? Yeah, like yeah. people were like, what? Right, but yeah. And this was, yeah. but um, the... And uh, it is two things that don't fit together. The people who started this were like really fucking enthusiastic about it. And I've seen it suggested that um, it's somewhat emblematic of them being really out of touch with how people actually spend their time. And I mean, and these are like, I mean, how old is, how, how old are Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg? And it's very, it's, you know, it's a really boomer ass thing to be like, Hey, I don't know. Like the kids are on their phones all the time. They gotta be doing something. Right. Well, as I wanted to explain earlier it is two different business models where you're like how, how do you monetize that how do you make money out of that it is two different things the existing you know entertainment industry you know it makes its money by you know selling selling a product by selling subscriptions but to anyone who's been on social media for you know more than a year uh the difference with social media is that you are the product like you are the audience being sold so they're trying to say we're going to pay for premium content and then you as the viewer pay to pay to consume it versus TikTok or Instagram or YouTube where the content itself is just a way to attract the audience mm-hmm. and then the audience is the thing that is there to be sold ads like yes. it's there for advertising so if you ask like oh how do we monetize Vine it is you put some vines in and then you you know you mix the the good content with the shit which is advertising you can't get around and that's how you make your money rather than be like how do i find the next you know video of a cat getting brushed with a toothbrush and monetize that brushy brushy like you can't yeah you you can't monetize that you're it is and this is something that i see a lot in you know the tech space is you aren't trying to monetize the thing you're trying to monetize like the platform like you monetize the system you don't want to be like oh i made you know i made this one great show and i'm you know i'm i'm done the show's the thing and i'll just make money you know for however long into the future it's like no you make a platform where it's like a bunch of other idiots make a show for free and then you get the advertising when they show their show and you don't have to pay anything other than the infrastructure costs. Yeah, which is, to put it in a really, in a very glib and oversimplified way is kind of the way that YouTube works. Um, it's kind of the way to, I know very little about TikTok, but they've managed to make some money off of it. So there it is. Right. But definitely yeah, it YouTube. Is, yeah, it is attracting an audience to be advertised to <clears> rather than creating content to be sold. 
on those all, all those platforms you're the the rubes creating the content for free i might add just giving it away um i mean can you imagine like if you did a podcast and you just gave it away for to people why it would be what like treating the material as worthless right you know it's yeah it's just you know dollar sign content it is just it's grist for the mill we you know we just keep crapping out episodes so we stay afloat right yeah like like the dog that you sent you know how it is right i guess i should link the dog video right yeah so the uh so it is two different ideas the uh, Hollywood idea that you're selling content to viewers versus the Silicon Valley idea, which is you're selling users, you know, you're selling advertising to display in front of users for nothing. It's it's going two different directions. And the problem is that Quibi is trying to put the business model of one thing with the kind of distribution model of the other thing. And it didn't fit for one. And for the other is that, yeah, their selling point where it's like, oh, you watch five minutes of a TV show while you're standing in line for, um, you know, for for a coffee or getting groceries or something. Absolutely, no one does that, and the reason for that is because you can't create. There's too much context switching involved there. You can't stop and get engrossed in a like an affecting professional media property while you're you know, taking a shit or something. <laughs> it is your people are watching these videos like these vines or TikToks or whatever because they're just this ephemera. It is this thing that you watch and you're like, oh, okay. And then it goes away. You aren't trying to like understand the, you know, nuances of, of characters and motivations. You aren't appreciating good camera work while you're you know, while you're uh you know, waiting for your name to be called at Starbucks. Like this is this is very like trite simplistic content and it can never arise to that because of the way that it is consumed it is consumed in just an indifferent manner i'm you know just getting back to the uh to the fast food analogy it's you know what is what is the best greatest potato chip it, it's still a potato chip i don't care how you dress it up what if it's got like uh sour cream and onion well, then it would be a sour cream and onion chip, and you just eat it, and you're like, okay, on to the next one. And you watch no the si- guy wipe out on his ATV, and you laugh, and you move to the next video. And then you eat another one, yeah, snackable content. Like, no one sits down to a plate of potato chips for dinner except me. <laughs> <laughs> because that's pathological. That's sick. That is a poor media diet, and it will kill you. <laughs> At least on the inside. <laughs> I'm learning a lot about Tim tonight. Right, yeah, I think we all are. I already knew so, all this stuff anyway, but you, you've got a wild hair tonight. No, I mean, really, because, like, it is so wrong-headed, and it's something that I've, that I feel like I understand enough. Like, I haven't implemented it correctly in practice, but I understand the principles that Quibi doesn't. I mean, I mentioned, uh, you know, what would Jesus do in the lesson learned from that, and that was pretty straightforward. That was just, you know, each of those episodes was, like, like 40 seconds to, like, 90 and, like, that was it. You were a little because, bit ahead of your time. Yeah. Because well, I remember the... that you were doing, like, Adult Swim-type content before Adult Swim. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's just the one thing. And then, you know, since we're going uh, going down my greatest hits, you know, I mean, you can just 
you know check my body of work on the internet movie database uh but um but not only that but when i did emergency 411 which was you know bad advice for unlikely situations um that was a a short-lived animated series that did get some play uh it was on like crackle um it was in an animation festival it was very funny uh, it was very funny yeah and you know i i think that he's a great um uh like comedic voice and you know very unique and influential um but uh uh but uh i guess as as befitting his name mike judge was like one of the judges for this uh contest that i originally submitted to that i had created this content for and he went like all of his handlers were like you have to pick this emergency four and one it is perfect for what we're looking for it is like it's, it's short it's iconic it's a series like it has serious potential. You can do more with it. And you know, to this day, fucking Mike Judge, he picked the Snowman video instead. What was the and Snowman video? It was a a snowman who like swaps the two balls of his body so he doesn't look like a sh- a schlub, and instead he looks like he works out. And then that ends. Was that a sequel to uh, the beloved animated cartoon, The Snowman? No, it was just a short that. <laughs> Um, that Walking someone did. Someone did submit it to a festival and they won. And I'm like, all right, well, fuck me, I guess. So, um, uh, what happened to that person? I don't know, and it doesn't matter. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the thing I is, assume, like, I, I assume that they're head of content at Netflix or something. Maybe. I mean, actually, like the guy. Ah, uh, shoot, I don't remember his name either because it doesn't matter where I am in my life right now, which is a shame. But yeah, he produces like lego masters now so that guy definitely knew what was up huh but yeah he you know introducing to some other people you know i played at a festival in uh toronto won some award there but anyway the point is that (laughs) i got i got it and i even explained when i got interviewed about it where i'm like the point of this mobile content and keep in mind this is like literally mobile content this is pre-iphone god i'm telling my war stories Sorry. Wow. There's yeah. uh, I, I I do have a photo of Tim as the head of the line in front of the Apple store for the first generation iPhone. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this would have been like 2006 or 2005 or something. But it was when like showing con- you would watch, you know, MP4s on your flip phone or on your BlackBerry. <laughs> and I'm like, it it's simple enough. Like it keeps the the color palette down it's iconic it's easily recognizable and it is it is short and what i said is you know just get in and get out get in say your piece get out don't waste the the listener's time like you know you're a podcast and you can just yammer on and not make your point and restate things over and over again but this is like it was just be quick like get in get out say your piece go and if you can just keep doing that if you have a, a solid brand and if you just do that over and over again, you can. I stopped it because I'm like, well, I'm not getting any money from this. And, you know, I got a job waiting. So I ended up doing that. And that's that's been a fucking tragedy in my life. Um, but but yeah, that was one point where I, I understood what the idea was. And a lot of the people who were judging in this animation festival understood it as well. Mike Judge disagreed, and, you know, that's that's the sliding doors moment of my adult life. Well, now I really want to know what happened to the fucking snowman guy. I don't know. Like, should we go be his ass or something? I, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should tell Mike Judge, you know, 
maybe you aren't a good judge of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's very nice in person. No, uh, we love Mike Judge. Beavis no, and I know. King he, of the Hill, Office yeah. Space. Silicon Valley, yeah, yeah, all of it. It's great, but I mean, I, I'm just like, well... You know, I guess I didn't make a good enough impression to him. Oh which my sucks. god, that's how. What? This is how we take the podcast to the big time. Big time is that we start beef with Mike Judge. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you would not reciprocate. He's too nice. I don't know. There's got to be a way to get to him. If if you know Maybe. any of Mike Judge's weaknesses, uh, please email us info <laughs> at haveyouseen.us. Better yet, if you We're know his social security around. number, yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, that's that's my uh, tragic brush with. Uh, with Mike Judge. So that was Emergency 4 and 1. Then Assignment Unexplained. Same thing. Where I did, I basically did the the Quibi model. <laughs> You're just going to link all your old web series. I am. No, it, this is, this, I am engaged in this stuff. Like, I know what I'm talking about. No, I mean, it's fine. But uh, yeah. do you want me to link all this stuff? Yeah, go for okay. it. It would be nice if I broke, like, you know, a thousand views on some of these fucking videos. Because what I did was I was pursuing that same bite-sized content notion where I took basically a, you know, a half-hour comedy series. It was a, a parody of ghost hunting shows, which the unfortunate thing is that friend of the show, Darren, when I was showing him, you know, like basically the inspirational content, he's like, I don't know if you need to parody this. <laughs> I'm just like, well, there's your answer. Did you know um, that Eli Roth has a paranormal show now? Great. I'm happy for him. I assume it's called uh, I Was Raped by a Ghost or something like that. <laughs> I'm going to rape that fucking ghost. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, Simon Unexplained. It was, you know, it was a, a half-hour comedy. It was basically uh, Reno 911, but for paranormal investigators. It was funny. Um, I worked on it. Yeah, you did work on it. And it was funny despite everything so the other point that i want to make too about these these two industry philosophies that are at odds is that if you start from the tech side of things uh what you want and i saw this from a you know i am i'm i'm just you know cassandra basically like you know in all these situations i knew what i was doing but still i was you know i was a tree that fell in the forest so you know no one no one learned any of my lessons no one gave a crap um, but what I saw as the, the Quibi problem is that in, in the tech world, a lot of the time, what you're going to get when, when startups start is you're getting an MVP, you're getting a minimum viable product. You are getting something that barely fucking works. Something that just is enough for you to start making money with that. And the, the problem is the follow to that is what I do for a living, which is cleaning up other people's messes, where it's like, okay, we got this thing that works and it's a horrible mess of spaghetti code and it's a huge ordeal to try to maintain. We want to throw that out and replace it and do it right. But the risk is you don't ever want to like break that money machine because without that thing working, you don't have an income and suddenly you're paying people to do a bunch of shit and you don't have any way to pay for it. So a lot of the time, and this is why you have such, you know, uh, reluctant managers is because no one wants to be the one responsible for breaking, you know, the money maker. So a lot of the time, the job is just to clean up these messes. But the flip side of that is when people try to do it right, those are the places that fail. And this is the, you know, Silicon Valley wisdom that was passed on to me because they're the people who took too long 
trying to do things the correct way rather than just being like, hey, let's just get something going. Let's just get something that's close enough to working. Let's just do it right. And if the, the examples that I point to are ones that had a minimum viable product and use that as a springboard to then advance into whatever form they took, those are the those are the lessons you can take away from this. I mean, you know, Netflix didn't start by producing original content. They did mail order DVDs. And then that was profitable enough that they had a little extra money that they can then start going into a streaming service. And that was profitable enough that they could grow from there. So it's just it's step by step that you're building these things. Same thing with, you know, if you think like, you know, Apple has a trillion dollar hardware business like this. Uh, you know, Apple TV Plus, which we have lambasted in previous episodes. Thank you very much. Correctly. That, yeah, correctly. You know, the the uh, Academy Award winning Apple TV Plus service Ugh. is is garbage. Uh, so, but I mean, that's just a dalliance. Like, you know, they make more money from from dongles than they do from from their Apple TV subscriptions. I mean, they'll give you three months of it for free, just because like hell, they gave me a who, year for free. Right, yeah, because it's just like, well, who gives a shit what Apple is making? And yet, you know, they won an award because they have because they of other bought money. a film that was well regarded at Sundance. Right, that yeah, that's all there is to it. it they spent money and they won the award. Great, good for them. That's how the but Oscars yeah. work. Right, yeah, oh, sh- yeah, we probably probably should have said that. But yeah, like they have a bunch of money coming in, they can just dick around with this other thing. Like Apple isn't gonna live or die based on what their numbers are from Apple TV Plus. You know, same with like, you know, YouTube. YouTube is Google. Fucking Google. They got money coming out their ass. Like they they can do whatever they want with YouTube. The only way that they can uh that YouTube can even be sustained is if there's a multi-billion dollar company that can bankroll it. Like you can't make another YouTube because it is not profitable to host and stream that much video content, especially with just the deluge of user-generated content coming in. It's uh, very profitable know. to stoke hate speech though. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's how you that's how you boost engagement. That's how you sell more advertising, which is Google's bread and butter. You know, TikTok, you know, that, that's, you know, <laughs> what is that uh, underwritten by China? Like they're fine. They'll they'll let that keep working. Um, you know, in the same way that like Disneyland is a lost leader for Disney. Like <laughs> Disney has tons of money, you know, coming in from other places that they're like, "Yeah, we just do this because it gets people interested in our other shit." You know, it's it's a uh it, it is a showroom, you know, for other for other content that they then fleece you for. So the difference is Quibi was none of these things. Quibi lived or died by its subscriber count and its income from subscriptions. And the problem was it started off at, you know, like third base or whatever. It started off like three steps in. It didn't start off as Vine or as you know, Instagram or whatever. It didn't start as like, here's a little thing that we do. You know, we're going to make some shows. It started off as we are at the next multimedia platform for premium snackable content. And they couldn't, they, you know, to, to borrow a, a term from, um, you know, my bet noir, Mike judges, Silicon Valley, they only had so much runway, you know, before their, their venture could take off. And they didn't make it because it was either everyone is on board with short form premium content only on your phone for $5 a month. Never mind that you can pay twice that and you can get catalogs of movies and everything else from Netflix. 
But that was their business model. And if that didn't work in nine months, then, you know, they shut down. It's because they tried to grab too much all at once. And that was not a viable business model. It was them taking a Hollywood model and trying to apply it to tech. And it just didn't work. Never mind that people didn't want to watch TV shows on their phone because your phone is where you watch, you know, people falling off their bikes and, you know, dogs farting and, you know, cats attacking kids. Which is you funny. Don't, yeah, but you don't want like a three-act structure with A-list celebrities on it. Or even B-list. Um, like, say, director Sam Raimi, who directed the premiere episode of 50 States of Fright, had one season and it is still in that it is on it is free on Roku on the uh original Quibi format of five to eight minute episodes. And the unfortunate thing is that I would have loved to see fifty states of this, but we got nine nine states states of fright. And they're not even good states either. They're like Minnesota and Iowa. Yeah, um ooh, I, I, I can talk now. Um yeah, um <laughs> not not so fast, Jen. <laughs> I feel like Mike. Um this as Tim said was uh uh purchased this series as well as a bunch of other Quibi content was purchased uh for pennies and the dollar by Roku. Um as such, you can't actually watch it in the quote unquote format it was intended, which I kind of wanted to do but quickly realized um I can't actually watch it on my phone. Um, initially when Quibi launched, uh, they made a big deal about, um, their, um, I forget what they called it, like turnkey or turnstile or something like that. Um, you could watch in portrait mode or you could turn your phone and watch in landscape. Um, so everything was shot with that in mind. Now, I would love to tell you like what, if anything, this added, to this particular series, but I can't tell you I'd watch the whole thing in landscape because I watched it on the Roku channel. Um, so right there is a uh, kind of uh, yeah, it's, you're, yeah, it's it is uh, David Lynch being like you're not watching a fucking movie, you know. If you aren't watching <laughs> Quibi content on the phone, it was in as it was intended. You're not getting the full experience, Jen. Yeah, so um, we're gonna give you a, a slightly um, a slightly adulterated version, um, I guess. Uh, it's not like this was. I mean, this is really not comparable to downloading Lawrence of Arabia and like watching it on your video iPod. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I when Netflix had an app, or no, I think is even when Netflix was just had a mobile site and you could watch videos on that. I remember watching Barry Lyndon on my phone. <laughs> just like, Oh, this is, this is so wrong. Just as Kubrick intended. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So we're not getting the pure experience, but as it is, it, it, it doesn't really matter. I'm sorry that we can't tell you guys like what the, um, you know, what the phone turning added if anything to the to the content because as it is the content is fairly light um right. you know what we all... should do huh if we were sh like shitty influencer types i'm not saying we aren't what we should review our next movie by watching it on our phones like while waiting in line and just see what we even get out of it yeah let's watch abel gantz's napoleon on our phones <laughs> or maybe uh how the west was won the the uh, Cinerama version. 
Yeah. Well, you, you know, I'll get two more phones and I'll watch it in in whatever the original aspect ratio. <laughs> three iPhones lined up to watch how the West was won. And I know yeah. you have three iPhones handy. You're damn right I do. None of them made within the last decade. Mm-hmm. But um, the like I was saying, the content is because of the very nature of the limitations imposed by the platform is kind of like, it's kind of like watching the best shorts at the film festival at the horror con. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, that was really how I felt watching this stuff. And Sam Raimi aside, he um, allowed himself the the plum uh, number one position. Uh, he directed the mm-hmm. first episode. Um, most of these, uh, while they have plenty of stars, uh, they were handed off to up-and-coming horror directors like yeah it, the only way that you would the only way that you but, would know these names is if i think if you watch shutter the way that tim watches b-movie tv like 16 hours a day right yeah and i'm ashamed to say that i do not recognize those names although when they show up i'm like i know i should know that this is a person i mean but i do not know who this person is like i will say that uh you know so these these all of these directors did like okay work. Uh, some of them I would like to check up on. Um, I think that um, maybe the biggest name besides uh, Sam Raimi would be uh, the guys who wrote and directed uh, the guys who wrote A Quiet Place. They did the Iowa segment, right? And the Iowa segment is probably my favorite. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna say like I think that one ended up working the best. Um, the the final segment, um, which was fine, as like all of the content we're talking about tonight is is fine, yeah. uh, was uh, written and directed by someone named Kate Devaney, who um, most of her credits appeared to be in the art department because she was a storyboard artist for a long time, which I will admit, as a sometimes storyboard artist myself, intrigued me, and I would like to see more of her work. So um, mm-hmm. to that end, I followed her on LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, you. <laughs> which you message her? Or? No, I just followed her. Like, I don't think okay. I like most of us. I don't think she sits around looking at LinkedIn because I think that the only people who who like speak for yourself look at LinkedIn on a daily basis are psychopaths. Oh yeah, like you're yeah, either looking for a job guarded, yeah. or you're just a type pod A people. psychopath. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. The only people who who post or reblog content on uh on LinkedIn are pod people. Like they aren't. They aren't normal. I mean, even on like Facebook, you're trying to curate some kind of life. Right. But on LinkedIn, it'd be like, hey, my life is my work. It'd be like, you're a goddamn liar. No one cares about this shit. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I can't bra- like for me, like, I mean, Facebook was bad enough, which is why I'm not on Facebook anymore. But browsing right. LinkedIn like absolutely makes me want to fucking kill myself in like two minutes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, no one actually believes any of this shit. <sighs> like if. If they did, you wouldn't have to pay people to do it. Yeah. So and then anyway, um, that, the nature of work. And then the the last time that I logged into LinkedIn, I found someone that I knew was uh, pushing their NFTs. So there's that. <laughs> awesome. So I logged out again. But um, um, but as I was going to say, um, and it's interesting, like because uh, you know, Tim got the bit between his teeth and and 
said a lot that was relevant about kind of uh, not just like Hollywood executive mindset, but kind of like Silicon Valley psycho mindset. And yeah, the, well, they're two incompatible psychoses. Yeah, but um, I mean, they're all kind of uh, they're all they're subspecies of the same like kind of malignant tribe, which is you know C-suite I, I mean, executives. But the right. point that I'm making is that the whole time I was watching this, I was kind of also thinking about you know the the you know the ugly demise of of Quibi and how it became almost a laughing stock on social media because people were so confounded by the very idea of Quibi. But it reminded me of, uh, you know, darker times in my life when I had a quote unquote real job. And uh, without going into detail, I have been in boardrooms with actual billionaires yeah. and heard that yeah, you've worked, for, you've worked for Satan himself. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. I've heard the things that these people say, and you're just like, these people might as well be space aliens. Like, there is nothing relatable about these people whatsoever. Just, like, nothing nothing they say, like, reveals, like, any common ground that you can right. find with them. And that is the kind of mind that gave us Quibi. And uh, the creative people working on this series tried their very best within the format, and they did okay, but it still yeah. feels like horror con film festival stuff because by the nature, the very nature of Quibi's limitations, um, you know, to go back to Tim's junk food analogy, I mean, mm. it's why you can't make a meal out of potato chips, even if they're like the premium kind in the fancy bag. Like you're- Yeah, you can't add more to make it better. Yeah, you're hungry half an hour or an hour later. Like there's that right. gnawing feeling in your stomach. And I kind of felt, it was like a gnawing feeling in my brain watching these where I was like, oh, you know, this is, oh, that's a good premise. And like, you know, this actor is good or like, that's a good kill or like, that's a that's an interesting bit. But thematically yeah, nice there's- wasn't shoved into Yeah, thematically there's nothing. Right. The and the other thing too that uh, speaking of, you know, to to stick the landing of my earlier diatribe about these two incompatible business models from two, um, you know, CEO brains, uh, uh, people is that in the the stories about Quibi, it is you know uh, Meg Whitman who is a tech person, and Jeffrey Katzenberg who is a Hollywood person who themselves did not get along as the leadership of Quibi. Like, you've got your microcosm of the Quibi dysfunction right there with the two CEOs. Oh, is that the case? That I did not know. Yeah, well, I mean, whether they did or didn't, you've you've got two co-CEOs from different backgrounds trying to, like, steer a ship in two incompatible directions, trying to come up with, with something that just, like, you know, it's like I'm trying to make the perfect pet by crossbreeding a dog and a cat. <laughs> like that's that's not going to work. You're uh, going to get. Tim, it was a show, and it was called Cat Dog. Oh right, yeah, my mistake. Well, outs okay, outside of Cat Dog, I'll I'll grant you that. Uh, but outside of Cat Dog, <laughs> that that's just a thing that that isn't going to exist, and it isn't going to be healthy because it is one thing or the other. But you had a tech CEO and a Hollywood CEO trying to do something that was incompatible with the other one's general idea of doing things. And on top of that, 
It's to, you know, boomers trying to make millennial content, which isn't going to work. But enough about Quibi. We should really discuss, you know, episode five in our nine-part ongoing series about folk horror by discussing <laughs> 50 States of Fright, which is fucking folk horror. Yeah, I was, I, I groaned, I actually groaned aloud when uh, it, I was yeah. watching the first uh the first episode because I could just picture myself saying, "Hey Tim, you know what this is? You know what this is, right? Yeah. It's your favorite yeah. genre. Right. It's your favorite yeah. subgenre." In in like in the nine episodes that we've covered folk horror in already, I'm chagrined that it has not come up until now. It is just like forehead slappingly obvious. All the shit that we covered in the in the Shutter documentary and all the things with whatever having mike on so he can bullshit about whatever mike likes like that like that was all secondary we should have been talking about 50 states of fright this entire goddamn time i don't believe it as uh was established by that particular documentary from shutter uh about folk horror everything is folk horror everything yeah i worry about it i mean if it takes place outside and isn't about christianity it's folk horror. Yeah. And, of course, we're talking about the first episode of 50 States of Fright, which is called yeah. The Golden Arm. And if you look up The Golden Arm... If you've ever been around a campfire, you know the story of The Golden Arm. Right. And if you look it up on uh, the internet machine, you get two sorts of results. You get a uh, discourse on folklore, or you get... Um, Articles, pals. Are, <laughs> or you get articles about how a segment of this first episode went viral because it was so off the chain, and right, it it's funny because um, at the time I don't think I realized that this was Sam Raimi, and it does illustrate how unfair it can be to pull something out of its context and you know just show it show it on its own because uh if oh you mean a movie can't stand by like one scene alone yeah shown on your fucking phone maybe that's the tragedy of quibi i mean that's kind of why like um you know like all of the all of the best and most emotional moments from movies like uh taken from their context and uh, shown, say, on a, on the Academy Awards telecast, they look really, like, histrionic and dumb. Because right, you had n- me at hello. Yeah, there's no... Perfect example. Yeah, there's no build to this person, like, having a meltdown or, or sobbing or, you know, dissolving in, in, in grief. Right, yeah. It's like, oh, Rosebud, what do I care if someone's burning a sled? Big fucking deal. Yeah, and in much the same way um the clip that went viral from uh the golden arm made i mean i thought i was watching some kind of like tim and eric thing <laughs> ouch yeah well i mean you weren't laughing that's the important no thing. it was just like what what is this what is the intended right. tone and um you know people were just like haha look how fucking stupid this is now if you hmm. watch the three segments which comprise this first episode of 50 states of fright it's like oh you know it's a little bit camp but it's very sam raimi 
It's right. a pretty simple premise, like drawn, taken to its horrifying conclusion. And a line of dialogue yes. like bury me with my golden arm makes sense in context. Right. And it makes sense if you know the story, like if you're already on board with it because you sat around a campfire and you're like, oh, yeah, the golden arm thing. You have it. You know that. Yeah, I'm I'm already on board with what it's doing because I know like the lore or mm -hmm. I know the legend, you know, that goes with this. So I'm so it, it skates by on that credibility, which is a whole other thing. Like if if you'll allow me another 40 minutes, um, I can talk <laughs> about that. <laughs> because we're making our I, own folk horror documentary. Right. Yeah. And it's going to be look, six I, hours long. Yeah, look, I'm just saying that there's a problem brewing this in this country that we need to address. And if you don't, <laughs> and if you don't like it, you're actually being like really toxic and making it hard for us to continue our important work. Right. Yeah. No. See, because in context <laughs> like that, and and it's funny because I just put it on being like, yeah, yeah, fifty states, whatever. I'm sure this is garbage. Then by the time I get to the third episode or the third act in a normal show, I'm like. This is really engaging. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm like scared and interested by this. I think this is great. I wonder who made this. And it's like, oh, of course, Sam fucking framed me. Yeah, and he, um, he was executive. Like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he was executive producer on um, the entire series, which uh, probably has a lot to do with uh, the relative strength of the content. Because, um, right. you know, barring one or two duds, these work relatively well as uh, their little standalone narratives in spite of yeah. not being very deep. Yeah, because I mean, even like the golden arm thing, I just know that as a campfire jump scare, but he injects pathos in it. Is it about mm -hmm. it is about two people insecure in their own ways, just sort of getting in over their heads. Yeah, and there's gore He found too. a way to justify it. Yeah, there is great gore in this. So, I... Yeah, so that was that was what got me through the first episode because a lot of the time I'll just be like, yeah, whatever, fine. Um, and I think that the Golden Armor is a great one to lead with because it already has that that cultural hook, already um, already baited, whatever whatever the analogy is, because I you know as a, a as a student of horror, not a very good student. But all the same, like, I know the Golden Arm story, so I'm like, okay, let's see you riff on this Golden Arm story. And for better or worse, you know, the, the series leverages that because um, a lot of the time it's something that, you know, it is that common complaint about, you know, no one's making new new movies anymore. You know, it's always like reboots and remakes right. and expanded universe and shit like that. And it is the thing from... Um, you know, I, I go back to this again. I've, I've done this before. The um, Red Letter Media's uh, Star Trek, you know, for 2009 review. And it's like people have a vague understanding of cultural signposts. And if you can uh, make use of those, then you, know, you can just those provide enough of a hook to get people over the hill. If you, if you allow me to mix my metaphors to have them on board with whatever story you're telling. If the golden arm was about like a golden foot or something, <laughs> like it, it wasn't. If it wasn't the same story, I probably would have laughed it off the same way the people, you know, posting it on Twitter did, because it doesn't mean anything to me, and it is that much harder to get people invested in new characters because we're already saturated. Like, there's so much. Um, th there is. 
it's hard to get to know any new people because we already know so many as it is mm-hmm. that it's it's extra work to be like, okay, why do I have to give a shit about this lady and her silver foot <laughs> or something? But if it's like, oh, it's the tale of the golden arms. Like, I already know this one. I'm already on board. I'm strapped in. Let's go. So it is a it is a canny decision on the producer's part of opening with the golden arm. And I can see if I was Sam Raimi, hell, that's the one I would take. Yeah. Because that, that's, a, that's a strong way to start. If you were Sam Raimi, you wouldn't be on a podcast talking about all your projects that went nowhere. <laughs> like, it would that's be like real. Crime Wave, and that would be it. Right, yeah. So, yeah, this, this story has legs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've just had the, the theme song from Man with the Golden Gun in my head all day. Right, yeah. I I gave a... Uh, uh, I wrote an adventure for Traveler that is a riff on a David Bowie lyric, and anytime I look at the title of that game, I've got fucking Ziggy Stardust playing in my head for days, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so. Timmy played Traveler! <laughs> yeah! Yeah, I mean, this will, the episode will already come out after May Day, so you won't be able to, to play in my game of uh, Xeno Paradise and the Hivers from Ogma, but um, look for it in um, in the Journal of the Traveler's Aid Society, Volume 11, I believe. So if any uh, super fan wants to make a Tim Bingo card, where the squares are things like uh, <laughs> Tim enumerates his failures, uh, Tim mentions tabletop role-playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim mentions Traveler by name. Yes, name checks Traveler. Right. Um, yeah, Jen tries to hook me with Lego <laughs> again. Uh, is mean to Jen. That's that's free space. That's a free space. <laughs> yeah, you dumb bitch. But moving away from... Yeah, the Golden Arm gets a chance to riff on something we already know. So that helps ease you into the series. And after that, I am on board with it. Yeah, minus a couple of duds. Yeah, but... and um, which ones do you consider kind of the duds? Uh, the ones I didn't take notes on. Because um, <laughs> uh, the, the one that was basically like a riff on um, stuff you recognize from The Shining, I think was the biggest dud for me. Okay. Um, that one, uh, I mean, I didn't think it was bad, even if I, it wasn't my favorite, because I did like that it was, yeah, it was riffing on The Shining. Um, it also had a bit of, you know, Winchester Mystery House in there, which, you know, Bay Area people know. Um, it, I do like that the three influencers are just shitty people. They're just, like, so extra. Um, I do like that it has um, Christina Ricci in it. I did like Christina Ricci. Um, I she's still cute, even in at her at her old age of still younger than me. <laughs> no, she looks great, and she was she was very funny in this. Um, yeah, I just don't uh... funny and like yeah yeah it's funny and just like creepy, which is great. It's yeah. Wednesday Adams growing up. I don't know. Fun. It was kind of a weak ending. I I didn't really. Um, I didn't really get much of the story apart from like, I mean, it reminded me a lot of. Um, the... I mean, you're just watching dicks get their come up. And sure. So and, you know, that reminds me of like the times that you text me while you're watching B movie TV and you're like, oh, this fucking movie that's on. I just can't wait for all these people to die, you know, like that kind of yeah. thing. And it kind of fits with like, um, you know, kind of the uh, 
essential reactionary quality of, of Quibi where it's like, ah, you know, the kids on their phones and like, here's an episode about ah, the kids being on their phones and they don't have any respect. And they just, they just want to, they just want to film all the time. And, uh, it uh, didn't, didn't love it. Um, mm-hmm. the other one that I didn't think was that great was, um, I don't know. The taxidermy one was like, eh, all right. I I I mean, I do like the twist and all these. I think that's fun. Right. The the taxidermy maybe you can say okay, it's one note because it the taxidermy one is um it is basically a uh the the preeminent I don't know how you even get to be this thing taxidermist <laughs> is brought like a Bigfoot. To taxidermy, basically. Yeah, and it basically ends basically, up like basically. mirroring Fucking Boggy Creek Two. A little, yeah. yeah. But then the thing which is a great I've... reference. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. Yeah, it is by an Arkansas filmmaker, uh, Charles B. Pierce, who we ourselves have celebrated on the show. <laughs> a, a true indie auteur. But this is uh, this is from uh, Oregon. The uh... Mm-hmm. The locus of uh, white supremacy in the Pacific Northwest. Right. Yeah. And you know, Bigfoot only lives there because he doesn't have to pay sales tax. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, the the idea though, like the horror Bigfoot in is it, a sovereign citizen. <laughs> right. Yeah. That fits. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. We got we got Bigfoot. So yeah, the the takeaway is he taxidermies a Bigfoot, and then the uh, like the family member of the Bigfoot comes looking for it. Because if you're a sentient ape and you see like your family member, t- family member taxidermied, like stuffed and mounted, that's pretty fucking horrifying, and you probably want to rip the face off of the person who did it. Yeah, and the, so, the eyes popping out was pretty funny. Yeah, so put yourself in Bigfoot shoes, and you're like, oh yeah, that's actually a really shitty thing to do. Like if you were a deer, like granted sentience, and you'd be like, oh yeah, my uncle Dave, he got shot through the heart one day. When he was just out minding his own business. Shot through the and heart the guy, and you're to blame. You get yeah, taxidermy, to blame. a bad name. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He was shot in the, and his uh, his heart exploded and he died bleeding out on a, a nice spring day. Um, but it's cool that you commemorated that by sawing his head off and hanging that up on your wall. No, good for you. Like, if you see from the animal's perspective, you're that. yeah, that's objectively horrifying. And of course, like at the end, they bring that theme home because the 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 cool thing about all these stories is that they have like this folklorist framing device where is the person telling the story and you're talking they're interviewing a fellow taxidermist who turns out taxidermied the corpse of the guy who got killed by the Bigfoot. So it all comes back around. It's great. Right. And they they do that to great effect in in each of these stories the the like the folklore documentary documentary framing uh, story yeah um I they they like do that worked they do tend to lean kind of heavily on like the like the narrator kind of framing which like I understand mm-hmm. um like I did like in the the Iowa segment there's no one telling the st- starting off telling the story to the camera. I like that it right. starts you, you know, in media res essentially mm-hmm. with like a pretty, um, a pretty upsetting opening. Yeah, you get to know what this person's hangups are exactly and how they are informing their present. Plus, it's got um, Ron Livingston. Of- yeah, speaking of another Mike Judge connection. Mm-hmm. Fucking a man. Damn. 
We'll get you beefing <laughs> with Mike Judge somehow, Tim. Two chicks at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, one other thing. Uh, one of the since we were talking about the folklorist framing device uh, that is used to great effect in Thirteen Steps to Hell, which I don't know where that takes place, but it's basically like Washington. an abandoned mine shaft. Yeah, it's an abandoned mine shaft, and you see like your worst nightmare in there, and. The frame story is from the kid who saw the worst thing as an adult. Played by Rory Culkin. Right. Which um Which is I, I also kinda neat. Yeah, and I don't um this was an okay segment. I don't I, maybe you can explain to me, because like the implication is kind of that um he's been cursed to narrate a short horror film for all time. Right. No, he's talking to like a stuffed animal. This right, the stuffed friend, animal yeah. which came out of the the mine shaft. But that's kind of how, that's kind of how it ends up feeling because you know it starts again. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these segments, it's like someone addressing the camera. Um, right. It's it's fine because it sounds like it seems like all the ones that you've seen before because you saw the one about the the uh, biggest ball of twine where you got Karen Allen, who you know you may remember from. Uh, Indiana Jones. You got her narrating. Yeah, like she's being interviewed by Dateline or something. Yeah, and then you have the other one about Grey Cloud Island, and you have the other guy being interviewed in a police interrogation room. And then eventually you end up at uh, 13 Steps to Hell, and that is where you've already seen... You've you've already had established the um, folklorist framing device. So then you're like, oh, okay, so it's the guy talking to the camera crew. But no, it's the guy holed up in his room who's crazy talking to himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it it perfectly fits subverting expectations where it's like, okay, this is another framing device where we're hearing the person who survived this encounter. But no, it's one of the casualties that you're talking to. And I guess I can't really, I can't really malign the framing this is something which i would have to write up to like a a, up more of a personal preference than anything else so i can't really say like oh like this failed because of this um right yeah you can appreciate it but not like it i mean there's plenty of stuff you send me there i feel that way um uh i mean yeah Yeah. that's that's my point essentially right (laughs) yeah i i didn't care for like the actual content of the episode but i feel like the turn at the end which of which was was inspired Uh, the 13 steps to hell oh right and kind of funny um tidbit that i don't think anyone will really care about but um uh in 13 steps to hell the young female lead was also in the absolutely awful netflix series haunting of hill house playing the younger version of elizabeth reeser's character and uh it turns out that elizabeth reeser is the uh female lead of the final episode of 50 shades of fright 50 states of fright no it all comes back around yeah so that's your your funny little bit of uh there you go trivia that could go on imdb and um you know 25 25 people could mark it as not interesting or whatever. <laughs> That'd be perfect. Yeah. yeah thank you. Um, yeah. So the framing device, uh, I do like how they mess with that because the golden arm, it is, it is played straight. It is <clears throat> one of the guys from the town being like, here's the story of the golden arm. And here's all the reasons why you don't just dig up this, you know, $40,000 golden arm that this guy made or however much. Um, but yeah, then they, 
they flip that around with the uh, Ball of Twine episode where it is Karen Allen as the small town sheriff. Mm -hmm. And she's narrating the events and she's describing them. It's like, oh, this is your version. (laughs) Like, it is technically true. Um, like, like we mentioned in the earlier episode is it is precise, but not accurate. It is saying, oh yeah, she came here and you know, she found her daughter and she was right where she left her right at the ball of twine, just leaving out all the details of the story about why it's horrifying. But then she's like, yeah. And then the two of them got in their car and left the end. Right. Yeah. So she's telling the story truthfully to her point of view. Leaving out all the uh, horrible, malign things that happened. I feel like this, um, maybe this is more the kind of content that will would go over better with Tim because it is very much in his wheelhouse being basically mm-hmm. another version of the horror anthology. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this this wouldn't be out of place on Shudder either. Yeah. In fact, I, I find it a little refreshing because I think a lot of content is like... <clears throat> um, it is for for you know shutter heads it is more kind of j- genre chasing where it's like look you already know all this stuff we're just, so we're just going to play the hits sure but it kind of becomes a little insular it's it's kind of interbreeding with itself yeah and I, which i and think I feel is like sorry finish please no no yeah and i think that just this is a little outside that sort of cultish content on shutter that can in that can inject some you know new life into it yeah and i think that's kind of how you get things like the colorado segment which are you know basically like oh this refers to a thing that you probably like right yeah um yeah which i mean you know like the golden arm it you know it cuts both ways like is it is it familiar or is it derivative? Like right. Eh. I mean, I have to give props to the golden arm for uh just going for i don't want to say camp um were we just talking about this with friend of the show paul when he was watching dark man right yeah because it was one of the things that at the time you don't realize what camp is because everything is serious and silly to you and you don't have any sense of what what the difference is right because like dark man like if you go back and watch dark man it's definitely like the kind of um uh, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, you can't, I don't know that you can call it like a, a, a comic book movie, but you know, mm-hmm. kind of in that vein, but it, it, they, they do not fucking make comic book movies like that anymore no. where there it's like positively operatic in its, uh, but uh, you know, that's Sam, that's Sam Raimi. Like, yeah, he goes for yeah. it. And it's, and if you're on, if you're on board with it, then you get to enjoy the ride. And if you're not, then, well, you know, to hell with you because you're a miserable human being who can't experience joy. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of why, like, um, you know, much later Sam Raimi is so disappointing and leaden. It's like that, uh, what was that, Oz the Great and Powerful or whatever it was? You ever watched that? No. Oh, God. It's like swimming okay. through cement. Oof. But, yeah, I mean, even, like, if you... I feel like if you, you know, watch Evil Dead at an impressionable age, you can be open to that kind of content. Mm-hmm. But if you aren't, then it's going to remain a mystery to you because you're watching it where it's like, I'm, you know, I'm scared, but I'm laughing. <laughs> like, this is horrifying and, and monstrous and gory, but also silly. Yeah. You're like, but th- those two things aren't supposed to exist to exist with each other. And you're like, 
Well, guess what, Bucko? Now they do. Yeah, or like early Peter Jackson. Right, yeah, same story. Where I think maybe because it isn't so purely one thing or the other that maybe people can have a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Or be like, oh, this this uh, this horror movie is way too funny to be good horror. This comedy is way too scary to be good comedy. I'm like, I don't know. Right, or you just end up being like my dad where like uh, you watch... Um, Raimi's Spider-Man, you're like, well, it wasn't realistic. Oh, God. <laughs> that, yeah, that was my problem with it, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God that uh, superhero my... movies have evolved, and they've become, like, just incredibly self-serious and are, like, three hours long. Right, yeah. Why did he... he Spider-Man, he doesn't even have eight legs. How can you call <laughs> that a spider, you know? But Doc Ock does. Yeah, there you go. Huh, what are the yeah, odds? fixed it. But, um... Yeah, so um, I I have to say, like, tonally, these stories are, they're all right. Um, yeah, heard it here, folks. Some of them are, uh, I don't know, like a little more. Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm clued into this stuff, so I think I enjoyed it more than you would as just like a normal person. Right. Like, I mean, I have like the cryptid coloring book that I got at like. <laughs> you know, indie con or something. Well, but this is the thing because I can't even say like, ooh, this sucks. It's like, um, this is creative people like working within the framework they were given and doing and doing fine. I've, because yeah, I was I think diverted they did an excellent job. I was diverted by all of these. Um they are it, it's a little much to watch these all in one day. <laughs> I don't recommend that. I was <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Again, doing the opposite That's of what I was watch intended. Them, Jan, you filthy casual uh initially um yeah but uh you didn't watch one while taking a shit and then finish it while like waiting for pasta to boil well and then start the other episode while you're like waiting at the dmv i mean i kind of wanted to like i wanted like took my dog for a walk and i kind of wanted to put on like the first episode but i couldn't because <laughs> i had to go back to where my roku is connected to my oh, God. av setup so i was obliged to watch these all like sitting okay, at my so desk that, that really invalidates our entire opinion on this though. um but i will i will give them this much like it doesn't it's not like sitting around like just uh like watching like vines go by mm-hmm. like in a youtube window like these these stories move like they're oh they're they have like uh yeah you know, it isn't watching holly j fox like lip syncing or playing with her dogs <laughs> Um, and even the ones that I, I really feel like they're the only like real dud for me was the, the, the Colorado one, uh, which is called red rum, like a shining reference. Um, but Mm. okay. Like there was stuff that I could enjoy in that and Hey, you know, it's the episodes are only six minutes long. You just wait it out and you go to the next one. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I did like, um, the ones that kind of didn't have a frame story um you know we've already mentioned the the Mm -hmm. the iowa episode um the other one which i kind of like just for its conceit was uh the florida episode called destino which was shot um almost entirely via quote-unquote police body cams which i thought was kind of a cool um yeah cool yeah a cool idea and it is you know technically folklore um God yeah, damn it! it is, I'm, I, yeah, now I'm becoming you. I'm like the one saying like, "Oh, fucking folk horror." 
<laughs> right. <laughs> so, look, soon all will become me. I just a long enough timeline. <laughs> but uh, but the thing that I liked about um about the the Florida one uh Destino is that it is full horror but in an urban context. Mm-hmm. Like everything else has been like in the woods or like on the plains or you know, so rural America, like, you know, the mountains, the prairies, yeah. the oceans white with foam. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no purple mountains majesty, though. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like this series was made for you and me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm I'm incredibly disappointed there wasn't a New Jersey episode. Ugh. <laughs> Look, let's just go there. You'll be horrified. Yeah. Or, um. Uh, my home state, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. God, you could do so much with a New Mexico episode of right. this, but we never got it. Yeah, and that is the most infuriating, infuriating thing about this. Like one season, like we aren't a fifth of the way through the fifty states of fright. I'm just furious about that. Or um, Be- did we get not only because like California didn't get one. no, we didn't get one for California, and um. They were kind of biased towards, uh, like, barring Florida, they were a little biased towards, like, you know, more northern states. Because, I mean, you want to talk horror, like, just the tradition (laughs) of, like, you know, just gothic horror of the south. Like, that is, that could have been, like, oh, it would have been like falling into a delicious buttermilk pie. Right, yeah, I got some horror for you. It's a story that starts about 400 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, there was a little bit of an effort uh, in a couple of these to, um, you know, toy with some slightly heavier themes, like in the, the, the Ball of Twine episode, which we've talked about, um, mm-hmm. that we were... Uh, we Made by and starring Asians, so there, put that in your pipe and smoke it. It's Kansas, but there are Asian yeah. people there. Like, how the fuck does that work? Right, and yeah, they do make spooky. a little bit of hay out of it because as soon as uh, Ming Na Wen shows up with her daughter, there's a guy, there's a local towns uh, townsperson saying like, uh, "Who are you? Where are you from?" You know, right? And uh, you know, the friendly sheriff is asking her like, "Oh, but where are you really from?" Which, uh, <laughs> if you have yeah. uh, ask any of your friends of color how they feel about that question yeah, when they're yeah, American, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I mean, and the the only other time that we've seen an Asian in like you know flyover country is uh, the uh, the guy on the date with Francis McDormand in Fargo. <laughs> now I think there was uh, there was another Asian actor in the um, the Minnesota episode, but I was amused by this because I believe there was a concerted effort to make all these actors look almost exactly the same because it's just four frat guys who eventually get get killed. Right, and already, like, like zombies, I'm watching that, and I'm like, all right, I'm not, already I'm not interested in it. Because I'm just yeah. like, oh, it's four assholes that I just wait to watch them get killed. Big fucking deal. Yeah, and they do they do an okay job with uh, somewhat distinguishing their personalities, and in fact, one of them is played by the guy who played Hugo. Um, I think everyone's least favorite Martin Scorsese film. Hmm. Um, and it's fine, and they kind of... Uh, have a little bit of uh 
you think it's going to go in the the hackneyed direction of like oh indian burial ground but no it's some kind of like norse inspired mythology which seems to be local to this island the episode well great cloud island yeah, I mean, I'll I'll put some in the MST3K swear jar. I mean, this is, you know, these are your proud Viking ancestors. Exactly. Yeah, so why not? And it's the thing that even on the, um like, the, the U.S. remake of the U.K. series Ghosts, like, they have a Viking as one of the ghosts because, of course, you know, before, um you know, the uh, the revered historical figure Christopher Columbus <laughs> discovered, quote-unquote, America, um, yeah, Vikings uh, found North America. So, right. yeah, there, of course, would be some history of that. And this is, that was where the penny dropped on the fucking, oh, this is folk horror. God damn ah! it. We can't get away from it. <laughs> this is now the folk yeah. horror podcast. Um, right. And another interesting thing, too, because, yeah, you mentioned how they eschewed the Indian burial ground, which I think is wise yes. of them in the same way that, you know, you don't prank someone with, like, um, you know springy snakes because you're like look it's old hat right like give me give me something new so yeah they and they did it in a way that is organic to the sort of um cryptid weirdos like me you know what they like there is a a uh, sasquatch right yeah no there's a uh, it references mel's hole which, if you listen to the Skeptoid podcast, they did an episode on that. It's one of those, like, apocryphal bottomless pits. Right. This is the actual bottomless pit that, you know, Mel's Hole pur- purports to be. You're listening to the Skeptoid recap podcast. <laughs> I'm Brian Dunning. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, this is another episode which is like, okay, it did have um, maybe my favorite bit in the entire truncated series, which mm-hmm. was a, a scene, a short scene of a frat guy being completely confounded by a rotary phone. <laughs> because of course he's like, how the fuck do you dial this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember as a kid being like, I don't know. He worked this thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is those funny little, uh, you know, bits of local color. That's great. Yeah. So, um, okay. So that, you know, that, vaguely relates to uh to minnesota um oh you know the the thing that i didn't get to mention about the florida episode was um i i just i had this impression as i was watching it and i want to know if you agree with me okay while i did enjoy it and i did like the way that it was shot and the way it just kind of like got straight into it with some nice uh snappy editing there was a point when it started to feel like you were wandering around like, uh, you know, one of those Knott's Berry Farm haunted houses. Which one? The the Florida one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. That one gets a little loose in the middle. Yes. Where I'm just like, well, what's going on now? Yeah. And um, I mean, there's like it might, some. It might have been the body cam footage. It might have been disorienting. Yes. But yeah. Like there's so. a little part where I'm just like, uh, shit. Okay. Where am I in the story again? Yeah. And th- th- there was a point where I was like, wait, what just happened? And I was like, yeah. oh, I guess he got possessed and then she broke the spell. But um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like too much of our. Um, maybe I'm just too much of a part of our short attention span society where like I can't even focus on a six minute video, but. 
It was a little. I mean, confusing, any a video of any length. They still managed should to get, be able to hold um, your attention. Is how it is uh, assembled. Maybe Jen, it is because you know you do not understand culturally. You know the concepts of voodoo. Maybe what was this? Was this uh, Santeria or, or voodoo or some? Uh, th- I, there were a lot of references to Cuban stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, it's voodoo. I don't know. Ropa vieja. Sure. Yeah. Although I don't know, she speaks Spanish, so whatever. Yeah, it doesn't well, matter. I, Florida, Miami, Cuban. There. End of story. See? Next episode. Yeah. <laughs> right next episode okay uh the the one that we've been holding off on because i think it's our favorite is almost there yes which uh did we address everything else we wanted to talk about um because there's the one well there's the mississippi one where it's basically it's a little girl meets a, a samara and it is uh, they caution her oh, okay missouri well anyway like she you know she just meets a samara and um then her family dies. She kills him. Um, also, it's narrated by the cigarette smoking man from the X Files. Right. Well, that's good. Yeah. He's the, still working. I do like. Yeah, I do like that. It is a metaphor where they they kind of hammer it home. Where they're like, "Oh, this is built on an old lead mine. People used to mine lead here." And she's like, "Ah, oh, mommy, I want to go play with the lead." And it's like, "No, it's dangerous." <laughs> but um, <laughs> the the idea basically is that. Um, okay, so they move into this house and it's haunted by this, you know, creepy little girl and the little girl kills them, but it is, that is a metaphor for if you live in this place that is poisoned with lead, it is not healthy for you. We just projected that onto a little ghost girl instead. Right. But the lead, the lead poison tracks. And I like that even if the rest of the story is, is a bit of a trifle to me. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was... A solid enough ending to the entire series. I don't know if they knew that they were ending or not, um, but that's the last right. state you get. Um, I think that the parents in this were house flippers, so they definitely deserve to die. Yeah, fair enough. I get. I, I can totally agree with that. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's. But all right. So let's get back to to almost there. We're we're almost there, but we didn't quite get to it yet. <laughs> Tim, we're putting the nooses around our necks. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, the the arc of any uh, social media influencer. Ugh, that's dark. Um, oh, but hey, please. but um, look, another. It, it's a hydra. Like seven more will pop up in its place. You strike one down. Uh, do, are, are like did are you have you been living like in a in a hype house or something, Tim? Your your venom towards uh, influencers seems like quite concentrated. Not saying that you're no. wrong, but no, I mean I just. I just uh, because you uh, you mentioned that um, other people care about what we say. Right. I mean, I don't really interact with influencers much because um, I mean, my Instagram time tends to be limited as is my TikTok time. So, and I'm not really in the um, the uh, the uh, it's, tea it's that makes su- you skinny. <laughs> demographic okay like i've i've at my age i've accepted my many bodily flaws and oh yeah which are myriad i don't don't know it's just making a joke at some uh dipshit's expense (laughs) so hey we're nearly almost there to almost there again yeah look for the full recap in our next episode thanks bye (laughs) well this was the one that um had me thinking shit i would watch this if it were a feature 
Yeah, this one, there was some work put into it. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't have the framing device. It has Ron Livingston, so, you know, thumbs up. It's got uh, it um, is... Vera Farmiga's little sister. Yeah, Vera Farmiga the second. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it is a uh, a woman, which already is unusual. <laughs> um, no, no, it's important. It's important. Uh, it is... <laughs> So it takes place in Iowa, and they have, you know, the big uh, wind turbines, but one of them, you know, catches fire and malfunctions, and she's got to go up and fix it with the help of Ron Livingston. But she is, you know, she's doing what is typically a man's job. Mm-hmm. She's an and engineer. That is, right, yeah. She, and that is, uh, or she's a, you know, she's like a lineman. She's like a uh, service personnel. Not a Wichita um, lineman. No. An Iowa lineman. Right. So so she's got to go up and do this thing. But, I mean, the point of her, of it being a woman and in this particular job is because you see that to establish her character, she comes from, like, this Quaker background. Yeah. So already, you know, she's kind of a, uh, a, Amish. a person out of time. Yeah, Amish. So it's like, what you know, A, she's working with electricity so already that's a big no-no and you know b she isn't like a sister wife yes or whatever it is with you know this weird uh upbringing that she has where basically her mother tries to hang all of her kids including herself yeah but, she's an you know, Amish, the, the little uh, girl gets away ah fuck i don't remember the reference yeah i don't either god damn it that woman who what? killed five of her kids because uh her she and her husband were fundamentalists and he wouldn't let her be medicated right yeah well yeah I mean all these have like uh, Andrea some... Yates she's an Amish Andrea Yates thank you yeah she totally is you're right Jen <laughs> um, yeah and that's the great thing about all these that's what I respond to about a lot of these is that because they will seed each of these stories with something where it's like yeah I vaguely remember a thing like that mm-hmm whether it is, you know, a woman killing all of her children or a legendary hole in the ground, you're like, oh, yeah, I heard something about Tim's that. known a few legendary holes in the ground. God, for real, I do a <laughs> podcast with one. <laughs> so anyway, back to this bitch's story. Right. So, yeah, we don't get a framing device, but we do get, um, which is amazing for uh, what was supposed to be short form content. We get character development. Yes. Yeah, we actually learn what this person's about. Yeah. Like, what their background is and how it informs the kind of person they are now. Like, she's gotten out, and she's done all right for herself. She's got an advanced degree, but she's still afraid of heights. Right, which sucks if you ever have to work with fucking windmills. Right. Like, how tall are those fucking things? Too tall. <laughs> They're very tall. <laughs> yeah, and this this is a really well-done story and like, a very, um, in a limited space like the interior of a wind turbine right Uh, some good jump scares that have you know meaning because there's like a you know like a psychological terror behind them there's like yeah trauma kind of like looming up at you from the past which is Mm -hmm. which is cool and um i think this is the single episode with a that did not have a, comp- a downbeat ending. Right. Yeah, you're right. And it's not... It could have d- gone either way, just as easily. Yeah, exactly. And um, 
And it's a it's a positive ending which feels earned. It's not like kind of like a oh bullshit happy ending. Um, mm-hmm. It lets you feel like kind of the 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 triumph of the character in doing it. Like you think you're like because, and of course like there's nothing wrong with like ending a horror uh, show or movie like on a downbeat note. It's kind of the nature of horror. Um, life is always going to be horrible, but. This was a nice little... Oh, that's what I say every day. <laughs> this was a, a, a nice little storyline for the the protagonist. Yeah, and they they do mess with that enough to keep it interesting, whether um, whether you know the, the protagonist makes it out or not, like what how damaged they are from their ordeal, mm-hmm. because she's kind of already been damaged. Like, she has a number of phobias. Like, she's... You know, afraid of heights. She, um, you know, her her mother threw them all over a bridge to to hang them in front of a train. Um, so when she sees this bridge, like the bridge is sort of like, I don't know if I want to go anywhere near that bridge. Like she is, she already is this kind of damaged individual that is overcoming that, which is, again, <laughs> character development. Who would have thunk? Yeah. In so, in yeah, six minutes at a time. Right, yeah, so that it ends on an upbeat ending, you're like, yeah, that's, um, yeah, you're, you can support that because this character's kind of already gone through enough rather than it being, for the most part, you know, they're kind of stock characters who deal with something and they get in over their head and it, they, it gets the best of them. You know, your person who hasn't experienced this trauma before and then they experience it and they're, you know, killed or whatever at the end of it. She's already gone through that. And then she emerges stronger from it. Yeah. The other thing. Yeah. The other thing that I want to point out in this is that it has the most like perfect serendipitous shot in this entire series. Maybe, maybe in, in anything that I've seen in the last year, because we had talked earlier, this character has, has this earlier trauma of, you know, being thrown over a bridge to hang by her neck and this train comes, you know, along these railroad tracks and it just obliterates all of her family and all the bodies that were hanging there. So it is her as a kid laying on these railroad tracks, staring at this this train as it comes down. That is in the back of her mind as she is climbing this ladder, looking up and staring off, you know, into the horizon of the, the single round light coming out of the open hatch of the top of the windmill like a light on a train heading down the tracks at you it is so it is so sublime and perfect it's a nice shot it's a really cool shot so you can see how this woman's trauma is informing her current state of mind and her point of view and this is by the quiet, uh, the a quiet place guys, which I did not give a single shit about. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe it's not for everyone, but yeah, this uh, yeah, it's it's a tight little story, and it ends on an upbeat of her, you know, basically conquering her demons. You know, she goes the distance. She makes she overcomes her her fear of heights by making it to the top of the turbine. She overcomes the the fear of the bridge and deals with her past. It's a good uh, final girl story. Yeah, considering that she's the one and only girl in the story. (laughs) The most final girl. Yeah. The ultimate girl. Yeah. 
I am the I am the the first and the final girl. The, I am I'm every woman you might the say. The alpha and omega right. of final girls. Um yeah, so uh that's a uh, nine states of fright. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just 41 more to go. So we didn't get a California one, but um if you were to write a short form um video um that was about uniquely Californian horror. What do you think you would write about? Hands down, no contest. The Santa Cruz mystery spot. Ooh. Yeah, you didn't one. think I was going to say that, did you? No, I, um, because I was trying to think what I would write about. And it would definitely be some, like, old Hollywood type shit. Like, right. um, you know, like William Desmond Taylor, Mary Miles Minter kind of a thing but with horror you know so right. it's like ah oh, there's murder and supernatural shit um right. or, you know the kind of horror that you get in from like uh chinatown okay because um there is an element of horror to chinatown where it's just kind of like this uh generational outrage perpetuating mm-hmm. itself and then the entire the lie that that the california dream has kind of been built on right yeah there's that but i don't have a story (laughs) right yeah and i mean i just i love you know santa cruz mystery spot because it is it is iconic it is a roadside attraction everyone knows what a mystery spot is but it isn't clear what's mysterious about it so that is the jumping off point for it's a mystery spot where it turns out it's actually way more mysterious and way more mind bending than you would have initially thought. But it's one of those things that people drive around with the bumper sticker of it. Like, yeah, you know, no big deal. But you also got to be careful of all the goddamn vampires. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why. Yeah, that's why I don't want to live in Santa Carla. Or <laughs> Good thing that town doesn't even exist. Yeah, I know. Looks a lot like Santa Cruz, though. Yeah, it's which, weird. Yeah, you do have an equal chance of being murdered there. So, so. anyway, look for Tim's next failed project, which will be uh, a California no, state of horror. Right. No, it'll it'll be normal activity. That was that was the the and. There's antitheticals. Everything I'd been doing up until that point. That was one thing where it's just like I do one. And then I'm done. Like, you never heard from either of us again after that. Much like uh, Mishka and Kizzy. Right, and yeah. And Nacho the Cat. Nacho the Cat. <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling you, he doesn't want to do it. Uh, people should watch that, though. It's great. Oh, wait. No, maybe they shouldn't because of all the slurs I use. <laughs> 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 Look, the character's a piece of shit. Like, unrepentantly. Yeah, like, and that's in, the joke. In, in Tim's defense, I have to say, like, it. I, I had to direct him in those sequences because like it was he had a hard time getting himself in the mindset of like a total like frat yeah, guy like, how piece do you of be, shit yeah how do you be a bigot yeah it's like how do i be like like super homophobic and like right was yeah just... how do you just like hate people you never met i don't know yeah ask an influencer i guess and you know like uh because of the upbringing that i came from i was like tim let me let me explain to you how to get yeah i, I got some literature mentality. for you yeah yeah <laughs> So I guess I got a link. Uh, what would Jesus do? Emergency 411. Assignment unexplained. Normal activity. Um, and a video of a dog um, letting out a long fart. Well, I think we're done. I think we got some good stuff out of that. That was two hours. Whew. 
Right, yeah. I mean, this could have been two fucking episodes, but, you know, you kind of can't talk about one without talking about the other. And the first half was just, you know, fast forward through my diatribe. Uh, but yeah, you can watch a tenth of the 50 states of fright on your Roku for free, assuming you have a Roku or an account with them. But yeah, I mean, I recommend it. I think Jen sort of recommends it, but it is, like I said, it is horror that is not as beholden to horror tropes as a lot of what you're going to find on Shudder. So on that, I think it succeeds. Gay butt dot gif. <laughs> <laughs>